listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Welcome everyone to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. We're so glad you're listening today. So this episode we actually recorded last year, Is This the End Times? Before we'd even planned to walk through Revelation as a church together this year. So in this episode, Yancey explains different perspectives on how to interpret Revelation and how this affects our understanding of this really great letter to the church. I think it's going to be helpful and offer a foundation for understanding as we all study Revelation together. Let's listen. Hey, Yancey. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Rachel. Thanks. It's good to be here. All right. So we're just going to jump right into this conversation because we both know that even the the great, our very own Yancey Arrington cannot explain the entirety of not only Revelation, but all of what scripture says about the end times in 30 minutes. Man, I, I, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. Maybe a good a question to ask is why are we even attempting to do something like this? Why even attempt to try to talk sure. about Revelation, the end times, so on and so forth? Well, I think, you know, first we're, we're not going to try to say everything. I mean, we should say I that up not. front. Like we're, we're, this is not what we're attempting to do. We are just going to talk about Mostly how to think about this is really what I want to talk to you about. That's good. And the reason why we're doing it is because um, there's just a lot of questions out there. You know, this is a, it has been just a a crazy year. 2020 was bonkers. Yeah, you think? I mean, I don't know how it was for you, (laughs) but, um, you know, I quarantined twice, so it was a bad year. But we also, I mean, there were, you know, I remember seeing a news clip of there being three hurricanes in the Gulf at the same time. And people were like, see, there's three hurricanes in the Gulf, which means it's the end times. Or, you know, there's uh, a vaccination that's required for everyone in the whole world. You know, there's political turmoil. There's there's just so much going on at one time. And, and any time there's this much of unprecedented things happening, people start to think, well, is this the unprecedented time? Sure. Because the Bible seems to describe in Revelation and other places in the Bible, a time that looks like this, maybe. Yeah. You know, people are out there asking it. So I just thought it would be helpful to at least walk through, you know, not not just is this the end times, but how do we even think about the end times? So once again, I'm I'm the sacrificial lamb that has to walk through this topic in case it just really blows up poorly or badly, I should say. Well, you also taught a class. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. But you taught a class in the fall of actually about eschatology. Okay, that's true. You got me. That was in August or September yep. of twenty twenty. You just sort of walked people through how to think about these things. And so oh, we just right. thought, you know, you did it, you're thinking about it, it's a weird time. Let's have a conversation. Yeah, you got me. I did. I did do that. I, I for six weeks or so walked through a, a class on the Bible and the future and uh, it was a phenomenal class. And uh, so if I don't, if I don't have an answer, I think I can make something up really quickly by what I remembered uh, through that class. But yeah, no, okay, I see, I see why I'm here now. So um, let's get after it. Okay, so I actually just read a quote recently about um, how to define a classic book, and it said a classic is something that everybody talks about but no one has read. <laughs> and how, and I think that's, that's pretty so accurate, good. but that also can be applicable to Revelation. Yeah, man. Right? I mean, we're all interested in it. We care about it, yeah. but we also don't 
necessarily study it and try to understand it the way that we should. In fact, I think a lot of times how we think about Revelation or just the end times is based on some popular just interpretations of Revelation, really like the Left Behind series. You know, I read it. It's a really great series. It's really fun. But it's hard to not think about that that's exactly what it's going to look like when the end times come. Sure. No, I think you're right. I think... Uh, <clears throat> I love your definition of what a classic is because that's definitely been my experience. It's the same thing happens in theological circles. It's the book that everyone quotes, but no one's really read. Mm-hmm. Revelation does get that, gets a lot of press for not being a book that people really know about. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm working through Revelation personally right now um, with, you know, a, a book written by a scholar that, that many consider the top scholar in Revelation, and it's it's hard. It's tough stuff. I mean, I I kind of work through one chapter, probably put about eight hours into it, and that's just chapter one. Uh, there's so much into it. But when we talk about really the end times, and you know this as well as I do, it's really not just Revelation. Uh, the word for the study of the end times, the technical word's called eschatology eschaton or eschatos, the last things, ology, the study of. So eschatology really isn't just about revelation. It's about Daniel. It's about Ezekiel. It's about passages in First Thessalonians, so on and so forth. But revelation kind of is on the marquee sign because <clears throat> it's the it's the primary book that deals with the end times as we know it. Daniel's kind of looking forward to some things uh, in the future, and some of those things get fulfilled. Revelation is a book in which some things, I would argue, are already fulfilled, and yet there's this bulk of it that's not fulfilled yet, and it's kind of where we get a bunch of our popular ideas. So you have the mm-hmm. Tim LaHaye, the Left Behind. That's I don't right. Know if it's yeah, so I forgot. I haven't read it, but I do what? know how. No, I you just, should. It's I, actually it's good. It's I, fun. I, I was reading Revelation during the time, so uh, no, I, that was my Jesus <laughs> juke. By the way, I wasn't. I, heard it. I didn't. Yeah, I haven't. <clears throat> I haven't read it. I know it's popular, um, and I, I think probably as we go through this pod, mm-hmm. this podcast here, we may I may talk about a little bit why why that was so popular. But maybe that's not just the only way that that all can pan out, so to speak, with Revelation. In fact, uh, I, I probably argue that the view that that book and books like those purport are really the minority view. Well, let me, before we so, even talk about that. Yeah, because I got a lot me, of stuff to make yeah, people Yeah, I know, I know. I see you're, you're excited yeah, and yeah. excited. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, but you're, because you're saying like, this is their view and maybe it's not the sure. right view. So before we even get there, because that is really helpful, because I think for most of us, we think there is just a view. Yeah, everyone reads Revelation and they all come back with the same idea, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, no. So, so tell us, so tell us what are the views? How do we even approach Revelation or yeah. Daniel or all the yeah. you know apocalyptic genre in the Bible. H- how do we even approach it? All right, let me turn that back on you because you used a term, used it earlier, and I don't know if people understand what you're talking about. Uh, maybe many do, but some won't. When you say the word, I want to tap into you as the uh, how to study the Bible teacher. Uh, when you use the word apocalyptic, what do you mean by that? What, what kind of genre of literature are you talking about? Okay, so I'm talking about a specific, although you're not supposed to be asking me questions. I know, I, I know. And if you there. don't want to answer it, you don't have to, but I, I thought it would be good. Get a little plug in for your, for your class that you lead, so. I don't lead that class. I but know, okay. but you did. <laughs> I did. It's I for did. your husband. Hey, for everyone pizza. go take that class because oh, they're really great All teachers. Right. Um, so apocalyptic is just a specific type of genre. I mean, whenever we talk about how to study the Bible, uh, we always talk about context, which I think we'll probably talk about more. But um, one context is what 
what type of literature am I reading? Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times when we read um, any of these books in the Bible, we're just assuming this is just a narrative or this is just telling me what to do. It's just, you know, this didactic, you know, God just telling me this is how you live your life or it's a narrative. But apocalyptic genre is a really specific type of genre and it uses lots of symbolism. It's always talking about, you know, broad concepts like good versus evil. And it's it's just a very specific type of genre that was common actually um, about when Revelation Revelation was written, um, which doesn't mean Revelation was a common book, but that it's a specific type of genre. So when we, when we read it, when we go to these um, types of passages, we have to know what it is we're reading. Yeah. And you have to look at it a certain way. Yeah, good job. See, Aaron would be proud of his wife. That That's she, right. uh, and I would also add that apocalyptic literature is different than prophetic literature in the sense that apocalyptic deals with the end times. Mm-hmm. Prophetic prophecy doesn't necessarily have to do that. Uses, as you said, symbols, uses fantastical images, uh, fantasy images, if you will. And I would just add, it's always hard to read. Because, always hard to read. <clears throat> yeah, because it seems like those things are up for grabs. But Well, I can I just ask you one sure, thing? Sorry. Yeah, I think that's actually helpful, um, even because I know a lot of people who, who would just say, hey, let's just get rid of Revelation because John was on drugs, sure. obviously. Yeah. Mushrooms and, on and, the And, and this doesn't even make sense. Let's get rid of it. Yeah. And so to even <laughs> understand like, hey, he was. this isn't nonsense, this imagery and this fantastical literature is actually a specific type of, you know, really um, common and developed literature that's going on. Yeah. So revelation wasn't, wasn't, wasn't really weird for the people who were the first recipients of John's letter. So again, if you you guys don't understand this, if you didn't know this, um, John was exiled to the Island of Patmos because of persecution. He receives a vision from Jesus on the island of Patmos and records it. And this vision is an apocalyptic letter, if you will. So really Revelation is is a mixture of three genres. It's got uh, letter, prophecy, but primarily apocalyptic as we've defined it. And so that that's what that that's what we have today in the book known as Revelation. And it is a um, it's it's a tough book because as we just alluded to, and I want to get to your answer and your question, <clears throat> excuse me. There are different ways to look at it. Uh, and there's, so I'll, I'll give you a general overview. There are people that look at Revelation and they would be called uh, preterists. It's a fancy word. All that means is they believe that most of the events recorded in the book of Revelation have already been fulfilled in the first century, uh, primarily because of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And they got a lot of evidence for it. Other people would be called uh, historicists where they think that Revelation is a map of what church history has gone through for the last 21 centuries. That's how they see that. And they feel like they've got some grist for the mill there. There are others that would see uh, that approach Revelation as futurists. These are, this is kind of the left behind guys where everything or almost everything in Revelation is only about the future. It's all yet to happen. And that's that. And then uh, there's the idealist so those are the four. The idealist, they 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 come at Revelation saying there's not <clears throat> this is not a chronological record of events, uh, and it's not a reference to real time. This is a cataclysmic struggle 
uh, I should say cosmic struggle between good and evil uh, in which Jesus comes at the end of the age. And, uh, and probably the guys I follow have an eclectic approach. They, 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 there's a little bit of all of that in there, uh, maybe a little less uh, histor- uh, historicity or the historicist view, but nevertheless, um, it's probably more eclectic. So, can I ask you a question? You sure can. Before you keep going? Yeah. Um, because I think sometimes the historicist view is confusing. So so the idealist, um, these are just, these are good and evil principles. Yeah. They're, they're, this you, is figurative. You, you can't pinpoint right. these in history, period. Yeah. Futuristic, it's happening. Preterist, it's happened. Correct. Very good. Historicist, if... How, how do we think about that? Because you said it's, it's history unfolding. How is that different than than idealists, or how is that different than futuristic or... Yeah, so a futuristic guy is still reading Revelation with a newspaper in his hand, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's going on in Israel or what's going on in Iraq and Iran and trying to think like he's waiting for the next shoe to drop so he can say that this is the next step in Jesus's ultimate return. The historicist is like, no, listen, man, if you look at the seven churches of Asia Minor, Revelation 2 and 3, uh, it's th- this is how the church ages unfolded throughout the throughout the ages, and um, and so they they basically say that it's not um, the preterist says everything happened basically in the first century, like most of it was mm-hmm. accomplished within the the people that lived and died, the first audience. By the time they died, most of Revelation had already been fulfilled. That's the preterist. The historicist is like, no, it's been going on up to this point, but the majority of Revelation has already been fulfilled because each successive century we see fulfilled in this book. I, I'm not a historicist, so I don't, I can't break it all down for you. Um, and then again, the futurist is like, yeah, listen, most all of this or almost all of this has yet to happen. And we're waiting for the signs of the times and they define signs of the times really differently. Uh, there's this different way they see the rapture we'll talk about. <clears throat> so there's a different way they see the millennium, which is a whole nother way. It's another podcast. Yeah, well, it's just a whole nother way that people understand. Um, and it'd probably be good at some point to get to it in our pod today um, about how people understand the the millennium because that's okay. there's two ways that people read revelation i've given you one the yeah. preterist the historicist the futurist and the idealist and maybe the guy who's like no i'm just eclectic i have mm-hmm. a little bit of most of those and then but the things people love to fight about who read revelation mm-hmm. is when you actually get into things like the millennium or the you know those, those which things. have some correlation to those oh, ways absolutely of yeah H- how you approach the for- the former will influence how you right. deal with the latter Okay, so so you teach systematic here yep. for a long, long time. And one thing that you talk about a lot is how at Clear Creek, we have closed-handed issues, we have open-handed issues. Yep. So you're talking about these four views of reading Revelation. Is this closed-handed? Is this open-handed here? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we tell people, for those of you who, who, who may have, uh, I think we've talked about this before. If we haven't, let me just remind people or share with you that when we say something's closed-handed, this is the kind of thing we're going to fight about. We're, we're not going to debate it. This is what we believe and we're pretty, this is the hill we'll die on. When we say open-handed, uh, we may have convictions about it, but they're not so strong that we would want to disfellowship someone from this or say, you, you know, you, you can't be a member of our church or, you know, you're not a believer, blah, blah, blah. So when it comes to the end times, what I've told people for the last, I guess, almost 10 years in systematic is uh, we're open-handed on 
what view that you would take and approach toward revelation in the end times. And we really talk about this when we get to the millennial discussion. So uh, mm-hmm. again, we'll probably have to broach that subject, but so you could be in, in you could be a, uh, I'm going to start using terms we haven't defined yet, but you could, you could be a premillennial dispensationalist or an amillennialist or a postmillennialist <laughs> or I don't know millennialist. You can be any one of those things and that's fine. That's okay. Open. Well, let's, you know what? Let's define those terms because okay. I think that's okay because okay. there's, there's, there's four ways to view revelation. This, this happened. Yep. This is a map of all of history. This is happening in the future. These are just general good and evil. This is just how yeah. the world works. Yeah. Those are the four ways to look at it. But there's a specific part of revelation that, that does get a lot of, you know, focus and chatter because it does define how you sort of think this is all going to work. Now, this is out. what makes left behind such a popular series. This is. It's, so it's there's their this take millennial, this. there's this thousand year reign of Christ that is discussed in revelation. And what does that mean? How yeah. do we interpret Christ's thousand year Rain. Yeah, that's it. it. Is is really um, there's different ways to view that, and it's affected by how you first approach Revelation, but then it also affects yeah. how lots of things that happen from oh, there. Man, so, it so does. tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so what I'm about to talk to you about to, to come back to our that prior question is that these would be open handed. You you could have any one of these four views, and and we would still love you at Clear Creek. Um, where we would be close handed is we would say that ultimately all of these views share that Jesus Christ returns. Uh, that it's visible and personal, personal, uh, real. So that's where it's close-handed. We're not going to debate uh, that is Jesus coming back or not. That's where it's close-handed. So to, to kind of close out that question and to move us into another one, in Revelation 20 is where we have the mention of a thousand-year reign. It's only like three, three or four verses here. Maybe it's 21 through six. It's not very long. I mean, you got all this Bible and there's basically six verses that even address a thousand-year reign. So right off the bat, there's just not a lot to talk about. And so, and yet, and yet this has been the big battle or the big discussion. So there are four major views that, that theologians and scholars and Bible teachers and pastors and Sunday school leaders have all taken to, how do you understand this thousand year reign? Uh, There's a, the first one, and this is in no particular order, but the first one is known as amillennialism. Ah, kind of means without, or it's not specific, saying there's really not a specific millennium. This is where uh, amillennialists would say that the thousand year reign is symbolic of today. Jesus currently sits at the right hand of the Father. He reigns. And so a thousand years is figurative. Sounds like the idealist approach. Uh, there is a lot of that in there. Yep, absolutely. Um, that it's paradigmatic, uh, that, that the, the thousand years is, um, I'm sorry, it's not paradigmatic. It's uh, Jesus, Jesus will at some point at the end of this millennium, which is not literally a thousand years, uh, he'll return and set up his final state of the new heaven and the new earth. Basically, every happen, everything happens at once for all millennialists. When Jesus returns, there's the judgment, there's the catching us up with him, um, what is popularly known as the rapture, although there's a thousand different ways that shakes out. Uh, so that's amillennialists. They basically say the thousand years is symbolic of today, right? Uh, sorry, I won't uh, try not to belabor these. Postmillennialist, post means after. So they believe that the world is slowly going to get better because of the work of the church and the work of the gospel and the power of the spirit. And that uh, history will uh, experience a revival and a renewal from the work of the church. And it'll get to be such a golden age 
that basically Christianity dominates the world scene. It's almost like we're, we're cleaning up the house before Jesus gets back and the house is so clean. The world is so full of the goodness of evangelism and its uh, excellence that Jesus returns. Uh, so it's almost like the millennial is the millennial or millennium is a, it's a realized beautiful age at which Jesus finally shows up and puts the exclamation mark at the end of the sentence. So that's how they see it. Uh, you have, that's the second one. The third one is premillennialism. Again, pre would be before. And so premillennialists take the millennium as a literal thousand years for the most part, literal thousand years. And so what they'll say is that- In the future. In the future, Jesus returns. <clears throat> and when he returns, he sets up a thousand year reign. And after that thousand year reign, uh, he'll have the new heavens and the new earth. Then the last one, and I, I know this is hard for a podcast, but it's probably good for us to get this all out here. So if you're taking notes, God bless you. The last one I would argue is the most popular one. It's called premillennialism, like the last one, but it's called dispensational premillennialism, or other people call it premillennial dispensationalism. And premillennial dispensationalism is this idea that it's it's similar to premillennialism by itself, but it's it's actually a uniquely American doctrine. Um, I'll just simplify it this way because this could get really technical and I don't want it to be. Uh, Dispensationalists believe that there are two separate plans that God has. He has a plan A for Israel and a plan B for the church. And they, it's such, it's, it's so separate that in their millennium, that Christians really aren't even there. I mean, if you were alive before Jesus returns, you're gone. You don't show up. There's a secret rapture thing that goes on that would- So the, the, I'm just gonna stop you only because um, we, we don't have that long and I just wanna make sure we do sure. get all this stuff. So so just, just because the rapture is a unique aspect mm-hmm. of premillennial dispensationalism, yeah. What is that? Because I actually think, and I'm sorry I interrupted you, no, but okay. I, I actually think that that again with the Left Behind series and just yeah. our sort of cultural idea of what the end times looks like, we sort of assume that there is going to be this rapture. You know that that before Jesus Jesus comes back, yep. we're all going to be caught up with him in this in this first sort of Jesus coming back, yeah. and the church is gone. So when did that happen? Because yeah. you're saying that's part of this yeah. pre. Millennial dispensational. Yeah, concept. so this this whole dispensational understanding of of premillennialism is is um is so kind of let me finish this thought here and I, it'll help me to move on. But um, they they think that the church is out, they get raptured. In other words, they get it's kind of like the body snatchers. They get snatched off the planet. Uh, their millennium is still a literal thousand year reign, but it's almost uniquely Jewish. The temple gets rebuilt, all this kind of stuff, and then there's. It's just very complex, mm-hmm. all right? So that's very different. They're, they're, it's kind of a different gig because they separate the church and Israel in such a strong way, it, it has some different implications. And so <clears throat> I don't know if, if, Rachel, I don't even know if you would, I don't know, uh, I'm not trying to have you tell us your age. I don't know how old you were when this happened, but I can tell you how old I was. So I remember in 1988, there was a book that came out called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Be in... Okay, 1988. Thanks for rubbing it in. Uh, I was in high school, a junior in high school. And I remember it was written by this guy named Edgar... uh, I I think it's Wiesenant or Wisnant. I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name. He's from NASA. He's from here, right? (laughs) And he writes this and he's a a self-professed Bible student, 
expert. This, this book sold like 5.4 million copies. And he just was like, Jesus is coming back and, and y'all are going to get raptured in 1988. And so when I was growing mm-hmm. up, um, the idea of a rapture was Jesus comes secretly mm-hmm. and visibly and all Christians get snatched up off the planet you know, and you see those bumper stickers, like in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned and, you know, planes are crashing and cars are running because no one's there. Where did everyone go? Well, this guy's like, it's going to happen in 88. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not even finished high school yet. Jesus, come on. Just uh, let me go to college Hold first. on. I like at least go to college. And uh, of course, we all know that didn't happen. And if it did, we're all in trouble. Um, and then... I mean, not, but within this same millennia, 2000. So you got 2011, Harold Camping does the same thing. I think he's living in California or somewhere. He says, judgment day is going to happen in 94. It doesn't happen. So he kind of keeps, lays low. And then around 2011, he's like, no, actually I'm, I'm, I'm miscalculated. Uh, Jesus is going to come in like, you know, May of 2011 and that didn't happen. And, and then he said it was a spiritual whatever. But everyone gets worked up every time. Mm-hmm. It's always the billboards. Pastors get asked a million questions. Here's another guy predicting the end of the world. And, you know, and then the guy, once it didn't happen, God bless him. He was like, yeah, it was sinful for me to kind of think that I could pick the end of the world. That's but pretty impressive. all of these guys come out of the same movement. They all come out of dispensationalism. And, um, and the reason they come out of that is because, let me give you a little background to dispensationalism. And I'm not... Um, Again, this is an open-handed issue, but I don't think a lot of people understand of, of why they believe what they believe because mm-hmm. they don't understand the influence of it all. <clears throat> this idea that the church and, and Israel are completely separate and God has different plans for them and that's going to have this big impact on the rapture, all this stuff, really was popularized in the 1830s. Now, listen, y'all, I, did you hear what I said? I said 1830s. The church has been around for 2,000 years this this idea of kind of like a secret rapture where you get snatched off the face of the earth has 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 only been around for like one tenth of the life of the church in history. I mean, nine tenths of this. When you were to say, "Hey, do you know about the secret rapture?" They, people would be like, "What are you, what are you talking about?" And even around the world today, this is really kind of a North American phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But there's a guy named John Nelson Darby. He um, there's some debate about how he came to this. Some, some, some people said that a girl came to him and said that she had a vision. And I don't know if that's true or not. So let's just let that go. But the point well, of it biblically, is... Where does it come from though? Yeah, it's, it's well, from, what, it com- I mean, what it comes from is... What it comes from is... Uh, well, there's a couple of passages, but it's, it's basically... He's the guy that first said or popularized this idea that, hey, um, I'm going to separate the rapture from Jesus's second coming. It's going to be separate. It's like going to be the vanguard. Jesus is going to rapture people... He's going to come to earth, but it's really not his real coming. It's a secret coming. Mm-hmm. And then the real second coming somewhere later on. And so this is all because, you know, and again, it got real complicated and, and, and complex, but here's the deal. Here's why I want to say all this stuff. And just, it's kind of church history hour with the ANSI. Uh, Darby influenced one guy. I mean, he influenced a lot of people, but one guy in particular, a guy named C.I. Schofield. Uh, Schofield was a very popular American theologian. He wrote a very popular study Bible at the time called the Schofield Reference Bible. I've got one. I had one growing up. Um, and that introduced, in the study notes, it introduced dispensationalism and this idea of a secret rapture to American Christians. And it became the most popular thing around. Uh, Schofield influenced guys like um, Lewis Berry Schaefer, who you may know who he is. 
He founded this little school called Dallas Theological Seminary. He influenced a guy named uh, Moody, who started Moody Bible Institute. And those organizations uh, put out pastors like uh, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, mm-hmm. David Jeremiah, Hal Lindsey, oh, and Tim LaHaye. And, and again, good or bad or indifferent, that's just where... So, so now, my generation, I'd even argue your generation, the pastors of Bible churches and Southern Baptists and anyone who was kind of a Southern conservative evangelical, they got raised on essentially one view, not even an old view, but a rather unique view. And, um, and so, uh, this idea that uh, Jesus comes, not secretly, but that he comes invisibly and snatches us up in kind of this middle coming mm-hmm. where no one's left around, you know, hoping that you're not taking a shower when Jesus calls you and takes you, or it's going to be really awkward as you're staying in heaven for the tribulation, all this other kind of stuff that no one even taught that for the majority of the church. And uh, the reason that we probably grew up, that's what I grew up believing is because of someone's influence in the 1830s. But when you look at the text of scripture, um, First, First Thessalonians is really the passage that talks about the rapture. First Thessalonians four sixteen through seventeen, and please feel free to stop me at any point when you need to ask a question here, because I feel like I'm once again talking too much here. But um, it says, no, let me just never. read it. Let me just read the text. Yeah, what'd you say? Nothing. Oh, sorry. Uh, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. By the way, it doesn't sound very secret, does it? With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And again, it doesn't sound very secret. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I mean, the idea is what does it mean to always be with the Lord? Well, a very well received interpretation of that, which is by the way, a lot older than the secret rapture idea is that when Jesus comes, rapture just means to be caught up to Jesus. There's this idea that we, the church who are alive at the time that Jesus returns, we get, we meet him in the air is what it says. And so, and, and then it says, we'll always be with the Lord. Well, where's Jesus going? He's not coming to rapture us and taking right back off into heaven. Like he's like, I just want to pick you guys up at the corner and bring you in. Halfway back. Yeah. Halfway back. He, he comes to earth to establish the full reign and rule of the kingdom inaugurated and now fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth. So we, we only, we have biblical precedent for this in the ancient world people would go out to meet, they'd go out of the city when they saw their king coming back. They'd go out to the city and uh, out of the city and they'd meet their king on the road in mm-hmm. and then they'd come back with him into the city. We, we actually see that. It's called Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding a donkey coming into Jerusalem. The people go outside the city, lay palm fronds down, and then they enter back into him with the city because that's what you do with your conquering king. This is exactly what's happening here. Uh, We're meeting Jesus in the air as he comes to finish what he started. And we're not going off to heaven to somehow miss the tribulation. Uh, We we stay with Jesus and we'll forever be with him from that point on. So the definition or rather the interpretation I just gave, that's really the majority interpretation that's been around for the last uh, thousands of years or at least a thousand plus. It's the secret rapture one that's that's the novel one. That's the unique, it's the new kid on the block. Now, with all that being said, and, and feel free to throw your questions at me, you can still believe that secret rapture stuff and we're totally cool at Clear Creek with you. That's open-handed. Um, 
it just would be we just it just would be helpful at least for me as the teaching pastor to say that's not the only view yeah that's not even the oldest view in fact it's the youngest view that has the least amount of support frankly not just in the scriptures but throughout history like if you go overseas and you talk to people in different parts of the world it's a very about, american view they they're like what are you north talking american about view. it's a very north american phenomenon well i think that that's helpful helpful for a few reasons um because a that just because it's the popular view, so when you say the majority view, you're, you're actually talking about church history and you're talking about scholars and people yeah. who are studying the Bible. Yeah. But, I act, but I do think that as far as the, 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 popular, the populace goes, yeah. right, which I'm part of, yeah. that um, the popular view is actually this dispensational yeah. view. Oh, yeah. And, and I think what is helpful about this conversation, and I, and I want to just take a second and sort of look at where we've come because it is a lot. It is. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, just even yeah. talking with you, I'm like, I should not be talking about all this here. No, it's, I, it's, I'm it, even getting, confused. it's helpful just because, because we just assume because it's our popular view yeah. that, that this is the interpretation, interpretation of revelation. And like you said, it might be the right one, but yeah. it's just important to know that it is, it is one view amongst many and it's not, necessarily the historical view of the church. No, That's it's just not. helpful to know. Yeah. And it could be right, but that's just a good thing to know. You're coming to the revelation and all of these passages with a specific view in mind. Yeah, and, and just to be honest, uh, or to, um, hopefully I'm always honest, to be forthright, I'm skeptical of that view. And it's a view I held we for- We can tell. It's a, well, I mean, I, just to be, I mean, it's no, a view no, I held helpful. for a long time. Yeah. And the reason I don't hold that view anymore is that it just didn't hold up under, uh, I think, a greater biblical witness of the scriptures. It didn't hold up to church history, mm-hmm. which we have the tradition of interpretation, which is important to me. Right. Um, and, and, and it didn't make, it, it made less sense of the rest of the scriptures. And mm-hmm. so you don't just have Revelation 20. You got it like uh, a whole bunch of other chapters you have to deal with. You have to deal with Daniel. You have to deal with Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. What people may not understand is that 70% of Revelation uh, is has reference to or alludes to the Old Testament. And if you don't know Daniel, specifically like chapters seven and eight and 10, and if you don't know some Ezekiel passages, it's gonna be hard for you to figure out Revelation and it's hard enough even when you do. So, but there is something to be said about how did the early church read this book? How did they understand these passages? And to know that none of them understood it the way kind of this, you know, the Lehave view is, if you will, mm-hmm. that's, that's powerful. That's weighty in an argument of to maybe reconsider other views. And that's frankly why we taught this class was to show people, hey, let's just do another view. Let's pick one. Yeah, I'll pick mine. We'll just call it Yancey's Book Club. So I don't have to say this is Clear Creek's official stance, but we at least got to get in the weeds on one of these deals. And it's it was incredibly fruitful for the people that went there because most all of them come out of the same mm-hmm. dispensational background that we do. Because again, if you're a Southerner, Mm-hmm. who was an evangelical, you pretty much had one view. And, that's our uh, recent history. That's our recent, that's the history of the last, uh, about from 1850 on. Mm-hmm. And um, again, at the end, if Jesus comes back, just like Tim LaHaye said, I'm down, I'll right. be with Jesus. Hopefully I'm not, hopefully I got my clothes on when I get raptured. But uh, that's the kind of deal that, uh, you know, again, well, let's, let's just try to be as, as wise as we can about going to the scriptures with this stuff. Okay, so I just want to reiterate sort of where you've come from. And then I want to ask you about just some specific yeah. fun topics that people just are thinking about all the time right now. Okay. But first, let me, let me just see, tell me, tell me if I get this right, okay? So when we're coming to scripture, 
there's four views you can take of these types of passages, yep. whether it's Revelation or Daniel, anything. There's there's preterist, yep. which it, this happened in the mostly the first Almost century. Almost all of it's basically happened within the first century. Okay. Then there is historicist, which is, this is just a roadmap of all of history. These things are happening throughout history. Yeah, basically this is the story of the church unfolded throughout the throughout the ages all the way so up to today. So you can pinpoint it, but it's all throughout thousands of years, so you don't we're not really worried about that Correct. because this is a long long history of the church. You got it. And then there's the futurist, which this is this is all happening at a specific time in the future and it's like a it's a t- it's a shortened timeline. It's going to start and end and we're going to know when it's happening. And then there's the idealist, which is this is all good and evil. This is just a a picture of what it looks like to be in the church age. Yeah, yeah, very much so. This is not chronological. Right. Although they still would talk about Jesus coming at the end. Right. But the majority of it's not really chronological. But most of, most of the revelation that looks like a timeline sometimes, this is really just right. allegory and it's images figurative, and yeah, figurative. Absolutely. Okay. And then within that, we have this idea of the millennium, which is sort of connected to these views. This is all about the thousand year reign of Christ, which is a specific, just small passage in revelation, but that is really a big topic. Yep. And it either is... Um, post-millennial, which is we're, we're moving towards this reign whenever yep. Christ comes it's back. Better. It's all getting better. Or there is pre-millennial, which is going to be this, this specific literal thousand-year reign. Correct. Christ comes back and reigns for a thousand years. And then there's actually pre- dispensational premillennialism, which is a unique premillennialism. Yep. And there's amillennialism, which is... Um, Christ is reigning now and the thousand year reign really represents just this perfect. Once again, it's figurative of, fi- of yes. Christ's reign. Yeah, okay. you get an A plus and see how I just wanna, how long that took you to do that and how right. nuanced that is. It's just a very tough, it is it's tough. a tough podcast. I just want to make sure that we're all on yep. this page. Perfect. Um, so that's a lot. That's but, a lot. But it's really important because yep. all of the specific questions that I really want to ask you come from those, all right, let's those do it. interpretations. Well, wait, first of all, A plus for being able to put all that together. Well, and uh, but but it does highlight yeah. how nuanced, how complex, uh, and still important though. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, the, you know, I, I want to tell people to say, well, because of everything Rachel just articulated, and she's sitting there across from Yancey and, and just, I mean, I couldn't do that right now if I wanted to. I'll just, I just won't read Revelation. I won't care about eschatology. What people fail to realize, all the Bible's eschatology. Mm-hmm. It's all about a coming king, who sets up an eternal kingdom uh, that shall never end. And God did not give us revelation for us to skip it. I mean, it's it's super important for us to understand it. So that being said, good job. What are, what are the other, where do we go from here? All now? right, so let's talk about just some hot topics okay. in revelation because there's a few things that seem to come up all the time okay. whenever people are thinking about the end times. Yep. And again, this depends on how you view it, which I want you to talk about. So um, there's whatever view you have, there's a lot of description about good versus evil mm-hmm. in revelation. And I think for a lot of believers, they get concerned with, you know, I don't want to end up on the wrong side. Yep. You know, I want to honor God and I want, I don't want to be, to be tricked into yep. doing something that's really on the wrong side of revelation. So for instance, there is um, the mark of the beast Yep. In Revelation, and it's associated number um, 666 mm-hmm. that's described in Revelation 13. And, you know, right now, that really is a topic that's out there, especially with the COVID 19 vaccination. So, uh, thank goodness it wasn't the COVID 666. That's that, would, maybe we really would have known, right? Yeah. Might have changed views. So, 
people like Kanye West, you know, he said, I don't know if you heard that. Who's but Kanye West? Kanye West is, <laughs> he actually said, uh, this, this vaccination is the mark of the beast. You know, don't do it. Um, but I just read, you know, two days ago, Newsweek, there was an article by a pastor in California who said, you know, this is the mark of the beast, but it's conditioning you for the mark of the beast. So don't do it. Mm. But outside of some sort of like media hype about it, there are real just Christians who say, look, look, people are telling me if I don't take this vaccination, I can't buy or sell, which sounds a lot like yeah. how this is described in Revelation 13. Yeah. So, and I don't want to be on the wrong side. Yeah. So how do I think about this? That's, that's a great question. So I think what you have to do is you have to look at what was going on in Revelation in its context historically in, under, in order to understand the whole idea of the mark of the beast. So the mark of the beast, 666, is somewhat enigmatic. We don't know exactly what it's about, but because um, the Jews were into numbers, uh, and, and frankly, the Old Testament's into numbers and the new, right? 47, mm-hmm. you know, all, this, all the way from, yeah. the, you know, very creations marked out with seven. All seven ancient eight. literature. Yeah, exactly. So they all represent something. Six is usually the idea of something that's imperfection, something that's not complete. The number three is the idea of something that's, if, if not eternal, it's this idea of um, almost incapable. It's, it's, it's almost a permanent state. So 666 often gives the idea that it's, here is a fallen man, unredeemed, uh, never going never gonna to be restored, i.e. the Antichrist. And so, uh, but we don't know any more about that. There, there's an old you know, dispensationalists, again, kind of got into this really big because uh, the, there is a practice in Judaism called uh, gematria where they every number has, every letter has a numeric value to it. And so <clears throat> a lot of people said, okay, cool. So if it's 666, what does that spell? Well, it spells Caesar Nero, mm-hmm. which, uh, I mean, you can make it spell it that, but you can also make it spell uh, a thousand different things. Um, you know, some people even said back in the 80s, it spelled Ronald Reagan because uh, Ronald Reagan's name is Ronald Wilson Reagan, if I remember, and it's three sets of sixes. And so again, you could, that's just, that's just not probably what it means. And so, uh, so you, you want to take it like, what does it represent? Not, you're not looking for an individual. You're looking for what does it represent? It represents, so the, histor- the historical context is uh, the Roman Empire demands your fidelity, not just to the state as a citizen, but as a religion. Nero has to be worshipped, or I think in this case, it may be Domitian. It was usually, I think, was the emperor probably at the time of Revelation. Either or, you, you had to say that Caesar is Lord. Now, we talked about this before. You had to say that Caesar is Lord. You had to give not your patronage as a citizen to the kingdom. You had to give them your fidelity as almost like he is your God. That's where you had to draw the line. So in, in the, in the uh, revelation is written to the churches at Asia Minor. Okay. So it's still a Roman province. The, what's known as the imperial cult. I'll try to make this as understandable as possible. Um, in other words, what there was a culture that says you worship the emperor. And if you don't worship the emperor, if you don't, um, if you don't, bow down before the emperor as the new God, then we don't need to buy or sell things from you. And they would have these mm-hmm. trade guilds. Here are all the craftsmen. Here are all the plumbers. Here are all, you know, whatever. And they even had their own deities. 
And so in order to impress Rome, all these guilds would say, you not only have to worship our little mini gods, you also have to worship the big God Caesar. And if you're a Christian, you still have to do that because that's how you're going to have to buy, sell, and trade here. And Christians weren't going to do that, at least the ones that John's trying to write to. And so um, much like slave, slaves during the Roman Empire, they were branded on their forehead and on their hand to show that they were the property of Rome in order to do business uh, for their masters. That's the kind of ideas that are floating around John's head, and that's the context. And so when we talk about the mark of the beast, what it would look like today is what it would have looked like 2,000 years ago. It's where the state's not demanding you do something for the safety of other people. It's where they're saying, we want your heart and your soul for you to call us your new God. That's it. And so I think people in very well-intentioned, if that's the, I just want to know, Yancey, what the mark of the beast is so Mm -hmm. I don't take it. Well, you know, you getting a vaccination and having a card that says you were vaccinated from the best I can understand of revelation, that's not the mark of the beast. No one's asking you to not worship Jesus. No one's asking you to give your fidelity of your faith to someone else. It's just simply saying, hey, it would be helpful for us to know if you've been vaccinated as you go back and uh, hopefully don't expose anyone to an illness that you don't have because you've been vaccinated. So that's not the mark of the beast. Um, well, even if, can I ask you? No, so please. even if, so we're talking about the mark of the beast, the number 666. I, yep. I think another thing, which is, you know, obviously int- intimately connected to this is sort of looking for the Antichrist. Yeah. So is it, is it this guy or this guy? Because again, I know he's supposed to be charismatic and maybe we'll fool people. Yep. And again, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. So, so really what I hear you saying is, is don't worry too much about that. You know, don't worry about being fooled unless it turns into idolatry and opposed to Jesus. Yeah, I tell you this, if, if it's now where the state's asking you uh, in a religious way for your fidelity and your allegiance and your fealty, then, then we got a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know people are like, this is the new world order, right. but notice they're all dispensationalists saying that. Because they're all futurists, they're all looking for they. Futurists tend to look at the spy, and dispensationalists in particular tend to look. They they read Revelation very literally, mm-hmm. a book that's filled with symbols, and they're all they're very literal. It doesn't mean that they think everything's literal, but but very literal, and by that also very chronological. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the church history that we see from scholars uh, and theologians throughout the last two thousand years don't necessarily take it chronologically. They again, they take it figuratively. Uh, most, a lot of them take it like this is. Th- th- these are patterns that happen throughout every century in the church age, which is frankly true. First John says you have many antichrists among you. Mm-hmm. And so now when I say that, Rachel, let me just clarify. That doesn't mean there's not a capital A antichrist at the very end of the age, uh, which by the way, we're in the end of the age. Jesus said that we're in the latter days. So um, started with him. And so, in, in fact, when people talk about the signs of the times, I always think it's interesting because uh, people, futurists think the signs of the times are all obviously in the future. That's not how Jesus thought about it. I mean, Jesus got, uh, man, he, he got a hold of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he said, let me just quote, you know, like the two Bible verses I brought with me. Matthew 16, three says this. And in the morning, um, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. Jesus says this. And he says to these religious leaders, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, right? Because you can look at the sky and if it looks red, ah, oh, there's about to be a storm comes. And then he says this, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, like you, you don't understand the signs of the times that are already around you. And so for Jesus, 
he already thought that the end of the age had already was happening. And it was with his first advent. It concludes at his second. So again, um, when we talk about what revelation is all about and the signs of the times, uh, the antichrist is just one of those things. There are always been antichrist people that are against God that want to see the church fail in its mission to evangelize the world. Um, and that's why first John says there are a bunch of antichrists, but that also means that they're, they're all probably types, mm-hmm. uh, echoes, of a capital A antichrist that comes in the future, a man of lawlessness and these on and so forth. But, um, well, I think this is, so yeah. you said in the very beginning, you said that you're sort of an eclectic view sure, of I all am. of these together. Yeah. And I'm just hearing that right now because yeah. you're talking about this being a type and there's lots of these yeah. and we are in the end times, but there, but there might be a capital A antichrist, sure. which yeah. I think is helpful to think about because if you, if you are thinking about it as, um, you know, as a type and, that can sort of help us to understand how to respond no matter what, no matter if this is an antichrist, you know, lowercase a or capital a, it's still the same response as Christians. Yeah. Take, take, take the, take the tribulation. Uh, Futurists believe the tribulation uh, is, is only in the future. Uh, Dispensationalists believe that the church predominantly won't even be there. You know, there's some infighting of whether that's the full seven years or whatever, three and a half. But I mean, I'm reading Revelation right now. I'm studying it myself just just because I've it's a challenge to me, and I want to do it. I'm reading like John one, excuse me, uh, Revelation one, uh, and, and maybe one or two. Where John's like, I'm I'm with you here in the tribulation. Da da da. And I'm like, whoa whoa, hold on. How come I've never seen this or I've never picked up on this? John's telling his writers, excuse me, his his readers in the first century that he he is with them right now in the tribulation. Well, he thinks it's already going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would argue that it's already going on that if you go, and I, I don't mean like tribulation, we have to wear masks or not. I mean, like go to China where they, you know, they'll put you in prison, go to places in Africa. Well, they're uh, in, in the middle East where they'll, they will behead you and ask them if they're in a tribulation. Right. So, uh, we, we've always been in the tribulation. Uh, that's the whole point. Or the signs of the times, earthquakes, famine, Wars. When have we never had those things? We will never. We've we've always had them. So, uh, but I'd also say that doesn't mean there's not some kind of uptick of tribulation right before Jesus comes. So, um, Revelation is just about what's going on right now, as it is about what's going on the day Jesus cracks the sky and comes for us. Um, that's why Revelation was written. It doesn't make sense that... So we are in the end times. Well, absolutely. That's to really, really answer the question yeah. though. It's, it's this, Jesus may not be coming back tomorrow, but, but no matter who you are, yeah. no matter where you are, we actually are in the end times. We, we absolutely are yeah. in the end times. Um, we're in the end times. Now, if, if the question is, all right, you answer that's great, but when is Jesus coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, that Wisnant guy and... Uh, that Harold Camping guy sure got it wrong. Well, our answer is we don't know. And anyone who says that they do stay away from them. Um, Jesus himself says in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows even the angels in heaven, nor the son, only the father knows. Now that's kind of a crazy statement because Jesus is God, but in his human mm-hmm. state, his incarnation, he's not tapping into that knowledge. Uh, I'm not sure he's, uh, I'm pretty sure he's not waiting by the father going, hey, hey, just tell me whenever, whenever you're ready, God. Um, but if, if that's what the Bible says, it's just spurious 
for us to try to do anything else to say, oh, we can, we can guess it. But just to reiterate what you've said, we are in the end times. We have always been since Jesus's first arrival, been in the latter days. Uh, he started the kingdom. He inaugurated it. And here's a nice fancy phrase. We're in the already not yet. Mm-hmm. The kingdom's already here, but it's not yet here in its fullness until Jesus returns. And that, that shoe could drop. I think that shoe could drop at any time. Uh, Paul, when you read the letters of Paul, he thinks he's going to see Jesus before he dies. And then if you look at his later letters, he starts to change that a little bit. He's like, well, you mm-hmm. know, a day to the Lord's a thousand years. It's, he's not slow. He's patient waiting for people to come to know him. So even Paul, he got, he, you know, it makes me feel good about how I think about this. Cause I think, yeah, I think Jesus could come at the end of this podcast. He could break right. It'd be the best podcast ever. Talk about the end times. And Jesus like, yep, let me just show you that illustration in person. And yet he could come in the year 3000. Uh, where did, where, that's where the, the Bible's admonition to Christian is to Christians is be ready. Mm-hmm. And the ready isn't like, make sure your bags are packed. It's to, it's to, to live in the awareness that the sun is coming and um, the new age is going to break in upon us and we ought to be living for Jesus being gospel witnesses every day. That really is the heart of Revelation. The more I'm studying mm-hmm. this is uh, if, if you read Revelation folks and it scares you, you're not reading Revelation well. It was meant to give hope. Why? Because the ultimate point of Revelation, and this is not to keep you from reading it, so I'd encourage you to read it, is to know this. God is in control of history. He's bringing history towards its gospel conclusion in which Jesus comes and returns. And knowing that should strengthen us to be sharing the gospel, faithful witnesses to Jesus everywhere that we go. And that Clear Creek as a church body needs to be a gospel light, uh, uh, to use the revelation uh, language, we're to be a lampstand in which the light of the gospel shines to the world around us where we're planted. That's really the point of revelation. Be faithful because Jesus is coming and you can't stop it. And that's a good thing. Oh, that's a that's a great thing. That's That ought to give us hope. Yeah. I think that's actually a great way to end this podcast. I mean, we could talk for a long time about all this, but, oh, man, um, we could. you know. We could confuse more people. We could. I'm, I'm probably half confused myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to wonder if anything I ever said made sense in this whole podcast, but that's probably not. No, it's not. so helpful. I mean, now we, we know how to, how to look at Revelation. How are we thinking about it? But... Ultimately, this is a book about hope, and uh, and we're we're all unified in that together. Yep. In fact, what what we can do after this, when we're done, is um, I'll, as you note, I'll try to put on some resources. There are a couple of books that I, again, to to recommend any books to recommend a view. And again, so when I say that, I'll put some links, some books that I think would be helpful, books you've read, books yeah, I've read, uh, that I think can help people. Uh, experience uh, and articulate the hope that we find in the end times, specifically through books like Revelation. Thank you so much. Oh man, my pleasure. This was really helpful and you know always interesting. <laughs> always interesting. Thanks, Rachel. And when Rachel. you're finished with your study of Revelation, we'll we'll do another one. Oh my gosh, I'm already scared <laughs> about it. And it'll be a three-hour podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you.